This is the Rising Tide Startups Podcast, where we chat with startup founders from all over the globe to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Every episode of Rising Tide Startups is sponsored by Podbrand Media. Let Podbrand create and host your company-branded podcast. Learn more at podbrandmedia.com. This is the Rising Tide Startups Podcast. My name is Kevin Pruitt. It's my honor to host this, and I have a special guest today, Jason Jason Shapiro. Jason, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So often I get to I get to chat with my guests before right before we record, but this one I was sitting there looking at the timer and I'm thinking, man, we we took a long time to chat to catch up before we started. So we certainly have a shared geographic commonality there. So Jason, tell everybody just if you and I met at a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? Yeah, it's a great question. I I, I say that I'm the founder of 82i, and 82i is on a mission to make entrepreneurship easier for founders, their teams, and their investors. We are a group of passionate people who are very passionate about the entrepreneurial journey in every shape and size. Uh, and we're learning as much as we can every day to try and support people in every way that uh, we can. And I, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I think you live uh, a few Where blocks. I'm sitting there right now, yeah. Yep, yep, and uh, that, that's right. So family, where are you now? Yeah, so now I, I live in Annapolis, Maryland. I uh, have been here for uh, a few years. Uh, we bought a house and moved from Baltimore after I left an investing job, which is what <laughs> led me to this. I had uh, been uh, looking at uh, hundreds of companies and meeting hundreds of founders. You mentioned that you have had podcasts with 300 founders. Yeah, I, uh, I spoke to 1,000 when wow. I was because our, our role and the job was to talk to as many as you could and find the ones that would be good potential investments for the firm. And in doing that, I realized that I had this passion for entrepreneurship. I saw a lot of the same um, challenges and, and pain points again and again. Um, people at, at the highest level just being overwhelmed with all of the different balls that they mm. were pulling. And I found myself, instead of uh, evaluating them, often wanting to help them and provide guidance and make introductions and do everything I could to support them. And so I sort of said one day, well, if, if that's you know what I'm really interested in doing, let me go try and see if I can create a business around that. And so now, two and a half years later, we have a team of 20 people and we've had over 70 clients um, we are rapidly approach, approaching client number 82, at which point we're going to have a big party. And uh, that is our, our quick story and how I got into this. So I, I understand the transition. I think that, you know, the more I talk to, you know, companies that are maybe focused kind of in the startup, you know, stage of companies or whatever. And I, I know that you also would talk to companies in other stages, but the one thing I heard over and over again with, with people that say, hey, yeah, I love working with startups. They don't have any money. You know, the, the whole idea of, you know, it's just, it's too early in the process. So, but what's the outside of just providing the like professional services to, to businesses, what is the, uh, I guess the learning curve for companies that, that to see value in just kind of the, like the peripherals or the, you know, maybe the soft skills of, of the, you can provide there. So if you're, you know, maybe, maybe do a little role play here. Like I, I have my company, what, you know, speak into, now give me your elevator pitch of what it would look like for 82i. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll start with our, our pricing model because 
While this is not a novel idea, I, I think it is sort of our core unique value prop. And there's a lot of thought that went into how we do it. So mm -hmm. pricing model is an hourly rate with no commitments. So it's mm -hmm. as simple as it could possibly be. When, when we started and when I had this idea, I want to you know, make things easier for founders. We experimented with a lot of different pricing models. We tried retainers, we tried success fees, we tried equity, we tried all these different things. And what we kept coming back to was misalignment. In a retainer, mm -hmm. we were incentivized to keep the project open, but do as little as possible. With the success fee, we were incentivized to uh, get the biggest deal done that we possibly could, but sometimes that's not the right, you know, right. solution. With equity, it's so far off in the future that yeah. it didn't really. It's hard to pay for pay bills with equity. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so what we did was said we're going to work on an hourly basis, and every week we're going to tell you exactly what we did. Uh, we're going to look at it with you and we're going to align with you on whether or not that's where you want us to be spending our time. And in doing that uh, a few months, what we realized is that we built really trusting relationships with our clients and mm -hmm. they kept pulling us back and pulling us into more problems um, because it was so easy to do so. If we're working 10 hours one week and next week we've got a big problem, we can work 20 or 30 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and we can also scale up to get things done quickly. And so the reason that works for founders at this stage is that, you know, it's, it's easy to try and it's affordable and there's no commitment. Um, so if it doesn't work, you, you can push this out. It doesn't happen much, but it can. And I think the very fact that it can is, is the reason that, um, that it works for us. And so that's what we do. That's how we solve the affordability problem. Uh, and what ends up happening as well is, is in some cases we, we end up, we have clients that, that spend quite a bit with us. Um, and that's because we're replacing a handful of, you know, leaders or employees mm -hmm. or whatever, because I really think of us as an alternative to employment because in some ways employment doesn't make sense for the yeah. million dollar, you know, startup. They can't afford the talent that they want, but they could afford you know, 10% of one of our partners who has expertise being CFO of five companies, CRO of five mm -hmm. companies, and, and bringing in that specific expertise and helping us uh, and allowing us to work collaboratively with that client to, um, to reach their goals. And so it's a very bespoke um, setup, but it really, it works really well in a situation where founders are in this dynamic state where things change and, right. and it's fast. So it, it sounds like a little bit like, you know, you kind of set up a fractional services, I guess, provider, you know, that says whatever service you need, we can find that individual or that, I guess, that percentage of that individual that can kind of fill in that space. And we're just going to charge, is it a flat rate or is it a graduate rate, depending on what the service is or how do you, how do you arrive at that? Yeah, 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 for sure. It, it is, uh, it is fractional, um, the thing that we like to say is different from most fractional firms. Most fractional firms try to do the retainer. Most yeah. of the time when I talk to, I actually just had a, a sales call with the client and I heard something that I hear often. I have a fractional CRO, CFO and I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. They're not doing a good job. The reason for that, I think, is commonly a misconception is that that's because they don't have the talent. That's because mm -hmm. they need a full CFO, but they don't have one. It's not fractional that's broken. In my opinion, it's the pricing that's broken. Mm -hmm. The yeah. same reason that I mentioned earlier, the retainer just disincentivizes those folks to do their best work. Mm -hmm. So our, our pricing model solves that. And the way that we do it is everyone at 82i has the same rate 
And it, it, you know, it, it is what it is. If you, if you need a CFO one day, you use them at that rate. If you need a CRO the next day, use them at their, that rate. That's sort of one piece of our business. The other mm-hmm. side is this transaction services, capital raise support that is uh, less fractional and more advisory in the same way that an investment bank would say, Hey, you want to go sell your business? I can help you do that. And I'll find the best bidder. That's exactly what we do functionally, but without that success fee, because sometimes the best advice we can give is that, you know, it's not worth it to go spend all this time and energy to go try and raise capital. You are likely not going to be successful. And so why don't we take that same energy, put it back into the business, fix, you know, areas one, two, and three, and mm. then go back to market. Yeah. Um, so our unique sort of uh, approach in that is that um, I am a former investor, my partner is a former investor, mm-hmm. and being able to have former investors work for you on an hourly basis, I think is pretty unique and compelling uh, for a lot of founders. Not only that, I mean, you've probably worked on both sides of the equation. So, you know, you you do have a unique kind of 360 holistic, you know, perspective that you can say. And I I love the idea that, that, that you're not like just a one-stop shop that says, Okay, actually, we could. It could be a disincentive for me to push you into our, you know, service B when really you need our service A. That's what you need. You need us to help you prop this up, and it's going to be a lot more attractive to investors with you know a little work here. So, what about like sales? Like, is it is it simply just in the investment space, or do you actually try to work with companies that say, you know, hey, I, I want to build this up to to offer it for sale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we do all all of the above. Um, and 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 to your to your first point, we we, we like to say that we speak investor because we were investors mm-hmm. and we speak entrepreneur. And one yeah. of the common challenges that we see on the capital raise or transaction or full sale, you know, trail, is the fact that those folks just are not speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, and and it and it leads to mistakes. It leads to you know folks. Uh, thinking they're not a fit when they may be, um, or it leads to folks really like one of the worst things I see is founders who go out there and talk to 450 investors and hope that the 451st is going to be the one that causes, you know, is the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not running a business at that point. You're running a capital raise effort that exactly. doesn't work. <laughs> uh, you're running a calendar. So what you're running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah, it's important for it to all be like in in one spot in our mm-hmm. minds because one of the ways that we sometimes talk about ourselves is a co-founder for hire, um, and a, a co-founder um, is someone who will roll up their sleeves and go solve the HR issue when you need them to. Mm-hmm. Or they'll go stay up all night and fix the product issue or work with you to develop the new go-to-market strategy. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really matter where the issue is. You, you have a smart person who knows your business who's going to solve that problem. That's how we like to think of ourselves. And we couldn't do that if we didn't have all the services. And there's no competing or or, or conflict, I think, between, you know, service A and service B that says, you know, it, it, I'm trying to actually, I'm trying to lean you into one because actually that we make more money over here versus this, this type of thing. So, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win because, that would make me feel better as the as the owner of the company. This, if you came to me and said, "Hey, you're you're actually not ready. Uh, we don't believe you're ready for what you're asking for, but you, we think we can get you there. You know, in in a short while by doing these these steps over here. So it's it's interesting strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And it's it's funny when you you say that, that there's no uh, competing. Um, 
because from a financial perspective with our price, there's not, it's all the same price. Mm -hmm. But one of our clients, we work in pretty much every functional area in some capacity with them. And, and so there is a little bit of competition where, you know, one co-founder wants us to work on product and another wants us to work <laughs> on sales and where do we go and what do we do? And, and what's really interesting in that situation is that uh, we zoom out and this is how we advise our clients. We always ask ourselves what the North star, the North star mm -hmm. is what is best for the business. If I was the only founder of this business, what would I do? And we let that advise and, and we let that inform what we're going to do. And so, you know, in that situation, there may be a little bit of competition, but we zoom out and we say, well, what's best for the business? Where is the biggest need? And we sort of transform our hours into value and output mm -hmm. for the client and let that tell us the answer. It's interesting that just the timing of, you know, at me making that comment and, and you saying, Hey, we just actually had a client that it, we could kind of show that value and the, how we're, our ethos is a little different. And I want to drill down a little bit more into 82i when we come back from uh, just listening to a word from our sponsors. And now here's a quick word from one of our new sponsors on rising tide startups. Have you been wanting to start a podcast, but not sure where to start? Well, now you can start a podcast in less than 24 hours. I'm David Ezel, and I'll walk you through all of the things that you need to get started today. Things like how to choose the right microphone, how to edit your audio, and how to find guests and build a pipeline of future guests. This course does a great job of keeping things high level while also diving into the things that keep most people from starting. Even better, if you use the code RISING at checkout, you'll get 20% off your purchase. But that's only if you use the code RISING at checkout. What are you waiting for? Start your podcast today. We are back. We're going to bring the plane down about 10,000 feet and start talking about just the company itself. I'd, I'd love to go back to kind of that, you know, that Friday that you walked out of your of your corporate job and walked into Monday into entrepreneurship and a, a whole different role. So walk us through that that weekend and that and day one and what it's looked like, what it looked like then. That's a great question. You know, you mentioned that this was something uh, that you might ask. And it really, for me, it was like, I found it. Yeah. You know, it was, this is what I've been wanting to do. This is what I'm going to do every day for the rest of my career. And so since that day, I mean, I, I, I've never looked back. I just, I, I really have just, uh, you know, continued to fall in love more and more over time with what uh, I'm doing. It's, uh, you know, that first day, I guess, was a, a little bit scary, but it was also fun and engaging. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was never bored. My to-do list expanded a hundred times by the end of the day. And uh, and now, you know, two and a half years later, we are where we are. But yeah, first day was, was, was a thrill. And th there was a, I'd say there was a six to nine month, like honeymoon period where I was mm -hmm. like, overjoyed everything was going great it was perfect <laughs> you know I, and at that point there were no real requirements we only had so many people i think we had our first hire probably month six or something like that we did face you know over time some of those ebbs and flows in the entrepreneurial journey that you hear about that i think are a necessary piece of the mm -hmm. the, the growth but i think even in those moments i've uh I've always, you know, stuck with the decision and been very happy that I did. And it was personally, and 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 it was a tough one because I had spent ten years in finance and in investing. And there's there's that you know thing. If if you leave it, it's going to be hard to get back into. And so it was mm -hmm. a it was a big uh, jump. But I like I said, haven't haven't looked back. 
So did you, was there an overlap? Was, were, was there a time where you're seeing, you know, I'm still doing my day job and I'm kind of working on this at night type thing that, and so when you launched, you were ready to roll or was it just a clean break? We're burning the boats, you know, we're, we're stepping into this on Monday and it sounded like you had some capital, you know, in hand anyway, if you can wait till month six to have your first client. So what was that? What was the plan? Yeah, well, on that point, the the capital that I had in hand was a, a wonderful wife who bankrolled the the first uh, few months of of the business, and so I was very grateful to to have that, and um and and so that that was the the, the capital piece. But um, I, I had been thinking She's about a tough investor, huh? <laughs> what are you doing in bed at nine o'clock? <laughs> Get up! Right, you work uh, for me now. <laughs> I, as I had been talking to all these founders, I mean, it was it, it, it was hard to ignore the feeling that I wanted to do what they were doing. And so mm-hmm. while I wasn't, you know, actively building anything, I was thinking about it because I had this draw. And so what I would do is I didn't know at that time that consulting for entrepreneurs and, and serving them in this way was going to be the business. At that time, I was thinking, I want to start something, but I don't really know how or what it would be. And so I kept a list of ideas. There were 82 ideas. That's how yeah. I got the name. I had 82 ideas for uh, what I would do. And then, um, you know, I started talking to some folks and throwing this out there and and they said, well, I'd, I'd hire you. When are you going to do this? Come, 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 come work for us. We need help with this, this, and, and that. And so I sort of stepped back and said, well, I'm trying to be an entrepreneur and I have clear demand and there's a clear sort of mm-hmm. um, interest. It would be silly to not try and build a business around that, um, take the path of least resistance. And so that's how I, how I landed on this as the idea. I don't know what those other 82 ideas were though, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they're probably pretty silly. So it'd be funny. <laughs> So you're talking, the name came from, these were 82 ideas you came up with as potential business ideas, just you on your own, just coming out here. Here's a clean whiteboard. Let's fill it. Yes. And no, it was, it was, I would meet a founder. They were in, I just talked to a founder that does bus safety software and, and I'd hear bus safety software and I'd think of an idea. Oh, what if there was, I don't know, train safety software. And then mm-hmm. I'd go write train safety software in the list. Yeah, um, Usually a little more developed or, or thoughtful than that. Cause I don't know anything about train safety software, <laughs> but you know, I'd had the help of some of the ideas from folks that I was talking to. Cause I was constantly learning about new businesses. And the other point I'd, I'd make is that, you know, the 82 ideas were that it, it stemmed from ideas that I had, um, but it's not meant to be about me. It's, it's meant to be about the fact that a lot of founders have that too. They are mm-hmm. ideas. They, yep. they have shiny ideas that they come up with all the time. And, and then they take some of those and turn them into something. And um, so it's just sort of an ode to those those sorts of founders. It, yeah, it's a nod to the just the the ethos of the DNA of of founders. But uh, that that's a great segue into my next question. And I, I do want to circle back and talk a little bit about 82i as well. But I have this theory that there are like two types of people. There are truly entrepreneurs and there are people that just either own businesses or, or have started a business or run a business in my mind there it's not it's kind of the nature versus nurture i think true entrepreneurs are born with like this extra gear in them that they just you know it's like what's the old adage that says when you're a hammer everything looks like a nail 
I mean, it's the whole idea that there's always ideas being generated in your mind. Your mind is always spinning. What are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting. Um, so you had you had previewed that this was a related question, and and I had I had thought about this in the following way. So I'll I'll answer the question you asked previously because it it'll lead into answering this uh -huh. question. You changed my perspective on a little bit on it a little bit. You had asked, "Is there an entrepreneur gene?" And I I started my career as a teacher, and teaching and learning and growth is very central to my value system. I'm, I'm passionate about it. it's why I built this business. So I have this belief that anyone can learn anything. And so when you asked if there's an entrepreneurial gene, my immediate reaction was, no, it's not a gene. Anyone can learn it uh, if you know they get the right teaching and they have the right situation and, and that sort of thing. What I think is interesting about your question is that I also agree with what you uh, just said. There, there are people, there are differences between founders and people who own or manage a business. Mm -hmm. um, to me, and I'm thinking out, out loud on this, the common thread or, or maybe the through line between those is that the founders are working in the thing that they're passionate about that gets them going. And the people who are just manning it, managing a business maybe don't. I, I still mm -hmm. believe everyone can be an entrepreneur and anyone can learn to do anything. You just have to put the person in the right situation to build a business around the thing that they're uh, most passionate about. And uh, I think that's that's my my answer. Now, I do think there are characteristics that allow you to be um, better at entrepreneurship. I think those characteristics can be developed, nurtured, and, and so forth. I'm happy to share what you know what I what I'd say those are if if, if you'd like to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, this is your show. I did make Phil <laughs> make that answer comprehensive. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So that I, I, I thought about this a lot because you asked the question and and I think about it a lot in general. And I was just how how would I summarize and characterize this? The first thing that I came up with was strategic intuition. The the, the reason uh, for this is that uh, the hardest part of being a founder is uh, resource allocation, specifically time allocation for yourself. Uh, there are so many things that you need to do. There's so many different parts of the business that need your attention. And many of them, you know, you're adding value, you're making things better. The hardest part is setting a good strategy so that you're spending your time in a way that will uh, reach the goals that, that you've set. Right, um, right. And I think that's probably the most uh, important, necessary first piece. The second piece is persistence. And it, mm -hmm. that's a common thing you hear about founders and about entrepreneurship, the, the way that I think about persistence <clears throat> is that the time you spend as an entrepreneur compounds on itself. It compounds just like money does in a bank account with an investment and so forth. And it compounds because you have more experiences, you have more assets, you have employees, you have connections, mm -hmm. you have a brand, you have whatever it is. Uh, and every additional you know day that you are doing it, um, you are getting a higher and higher sort of ROI on on your time, and that's, yeah. that's certainly been um, you know my experience. So I think I think if you've got the strategic intuition putting you in the right direction, you've got the persistence to keep going at it. Um, it gets you a big chunk of the way there. The other two I have is they're sort of tied together: EQ and creativity. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they're tied together is we have this big uh, this phrase that we talk a lot about called uh, "with the tide," uh, and what I mean by that is that. 
there are some founders that go uh, with the tide and they go really, really fast and they go hopefully in the direction that they're you know trying to go. That's why they're going with the tide. There are other founders that go against the tide. They try to force the market to like their product. They try to force their team to do the things that they need them to do. And, and they often fail because when you're an earlier stage business, you have less resources. Uh, the worst thing you can do in that situation is to make it harder on yourself because you're never going to be able to convince the tide uh, to do something differently. You're never going to be able to convince the market yep. to do something differently. In rare cases, you can, but right. more often than not, you can't. And so the best founders I see go with the tide. And to do that, I think you need to have EQ so that you can hear, understand, listen to people, understand yourself and make sure that you're going in that direction, but tying that with creativity, because mm -hmm. a lot of times it takes a creative spin on an existing situation yeah. uh, to find the way to go with the tide. So those, those I, I love the way you summarize that. It's like, I could, I could apply that to another question. I'm going to ask you a little later, but I, I hope you got some other, other nuggets that we can fit in there, but I am curious, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting transition to go from quote, you know, and air quotes, employee to entrepreneur. So what, what did you bring from previous bosses you had? What did you bring from, you know, experiences you had in, you know, working for a company or companies into this role that said, you know, when I lead people, this, I want to keep these things in mind. What are, what are one or two really um, like salient points uh, that you think are really pillars of how you you lead well that you think would be helpful for others others trying to lead. Yeah, that's a great great question. I, I can think of um, two that, that come to mind. To your point, one is uh, having a flat organization. The the firm that I worked at when I was an investor before this was Resolve Growth Partners and. We were an exceptionally flat organization. There was a big room with a table in the middle at it, of it, and we all sat at this table. Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think that was such an engaging- Sound like King Arthur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was such an engaging experience for me because I heard and I saw everything, and it, it allowed me to understand the strategy of the business, understand the direction of the business, understand why decisions were being made the way that mm -hmm. they were. And, you know, for me, it just really drew me in and got me excited about that, that business and that, and that culture. And so I think having a flat uh, hierarchy um, and, and that's, that goes hand in hand with my second example, there was a, a particular individual at a point in my career who was very teaching and mentoring oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, and this person spent a ton of time teaching me things that weren't necessarily just about the work that I was doing uh, for them. Mm. It was much more broad than that. Yep. Some folks found this person difficult. Like he loved the work uh, and he would do a lot of the work and, and he loved to talk about the work. And some folks just wanted to get in do their work and get out. Um, mm. On the other hand, like I loved working for this guy because it was engaging and fun and I learned and it made a ton of sense. And I think the, the, the value from that is the, the value of, teaching and inclusion sort of with that flat structure and finding the right people. Um, for at 82i, uh, I, I want the people like me 
that want that learning that are seeking that learning that get you know jumped pumped up by, about that learning i don't want those people who want to do the work and then sort of get out the door yeah um, and so um yeah th those two examples have really played a big part in, in, in what we're doing so the way that that i've heard <laughs> you describe a2i it's almost like you have like this stable of specialists you know that you can kind of employ as or deploy as needed um how do you find them how do you vet them i mean are you hiring people with skill sets or are you are you hiring people and training them you know to those skill sets yeah that's a great question so <clears throat> at the highest level the organizational structure that we have is that we have different partners who are experts in different areas mm -hmm. so we have cfo cro product person operations you know yeah raise all that and then we have uh all of our services are delivered uh via a team not an individual so we don't take that person and, and sort of leave them at the company what we do is we take the partner we match them with an engagement manager and the two of them together sometimes we had a consultant and have a three-person team go and serve um as a sort of single cfo even though they're a three-person mm -hmm team and we're highly coordinated we have a big back-end tech system that we use to enable that and so where do we find these folks we've done a, a decent job of recruiting but we're not great at recruiting at this point in our uh journey and a lot of times it's come to us um, because uh, i can think of one person a part a, a client referred us to his former cfo i can think of another example there was a actually a person that I knew that I was trying to recruit who ended up going to an investment fund, but then turned around and introduced me to one of our really good consultants uh, a month later. And uh, for the junior folks on the team, the the way that we, uh, I like to say it, and it will sound very similar to what I've already said about our, our, our value system is that I want them to feel like they are growing and developing more at 82i and at a faster rate than they could anywhere else. Um, and so we're taking uh, folks, this person that I'm mentioning, he joined and he had been, he had basically taught himself finance at a startup right out of college. And he had done it all uh, on a Mac. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, for, for folks in, in finance, most of finance is done in Excel on a Windows uh, computer. And so he, he joined and me and one of our other consultants were like watching him on the keyboard. He didn't have any of the fast, you know, keyboard shortcuts and mm -hmm. all these things. That we do so he immediately went and got to learn it um and we just had his one year review a year later because he joined about a year ago and he was saying how funny that is that he started and, and didn't didn't know that because he learned so much this year he yeah. I, I think at one point i had told him it was like he showed up and he was the seven footer that had never played basketball lots of raw <laughs> talent but we had to a little bit and he's he's one of our best examples of uh, now he's he's like leading clients and 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 running you know Excel models and doing a great job and so we really like to nurture and grow our talent. I, I love that analogy. The seventh player that's never played basketball. Let me introduce you to this round leather ball that is going to change your life. So <laughs> you, you you will never be the same. Tell me a little bit about like you know what's a big win recently in in eighty two I that you you look back and you think. I uh, mean, this is this got me out of bed that the next day because I, I went to sleep that night thinking, wow, I'm exactly the th the picture that I that you painted in my mind when you said, man, I found my thing. You know, I found the thing I was I was meant to do. I was created to do. It's the the picture of, you know, it's outside of the 
man's Chinese theater in, in Hollywood where they have like the handprints and the footprints in, in concrete, you know, when you step into those and they're yours and there's no other feeling on the planet like that, that you said, I, this is what I was born to do, you know? So tell me when you know, that, that, that feeling, you know, is fleeting sometimes, but every now and then you've got to have wins. So what's a recent win? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. For me, one of the things that I'm most passionate about serving clients, yes, but also building our team so that they can serve clients. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's another gentleman on our team. Uh, we have one client, I'll, I'll explain the situation and then it'll connect to, to what he does. This is the client where we're in each function. We've we've done a little bit um, across the board. We're very deeply ingrained with this with this company, and right now we're trying to do, uh, build a strategic plan uh, for 2024. What is our mission and our purpose, and how does that translate to our budget and our strategy, and what are our KPIs? Mm -hmm. All of these different uh, things uh, in a lot of you know entrepreneurial startup situations, those things don't exist because there's so much going on. Um, and so this uh, this individual uh, is sort of our our point person on this project, mm -hmm. which I sort of when I talk to him, I say um, it, it's like you're a CEO in training because he's juggling the balls in finance. He's juggling the balls in sales. He's juggling the priorities and product. And he's trying to manage all of these different people with all of these different priorities and organize it in a way that, and, and make recommendations on here's what, you know, I think we should do, but let's have a discussion. Here are the other options. And, and, and one of the things that happened recently in, in this strategic plan is that he was able to do that and bring this purpose together in a way that uh, clicked with the client, set that purpose, mission, vision, for the client in a way that the team, not just our client, but their team uh, really resonated with and was motivated by. And um, this is something that he and I have been working on uh, for months. We've been sort of getting back to the basics on what is a strategy? What is a mission? What, what, what is that going to look like when we do that for the next client? We're building the framework mm -hmm. for how are we going to advise folks on this? How are we going to do this ourselves? And so we've really gotten back to first principles and building that. And, and it's been really cool to see him do that and then deliver that to the, the client. So that, that, that's been the, the big win for me. That, that's, I mean, that's just the teacher DNA in you there. That, that is seeing the, the eaglet fly, you know, uh, jump out of the nest and, and fly. But it's, it is, uh, I appreciate the, this, your heart behind that win, because I'm thinking, you know, it'd be easy to say, yeah, I, I Brought on board a new client and we, you know, 10 X our, our ROI, this or, or, you know, monthly recurring revenue, you know, a certain percentage or whatever, but you know, your win was seeing other people succeed. And I think that it would certainly make you somebody that others would want to follow, you know, that would want to work with and for. So that's a really good to hear. And, and it just really kind of fits the ethos behind our, our podcast here. But um, as we wrap up today, just, Tell people where can they learn more about 82i, which is where's the best place, and where can they find you online? Definitely. Yeah. So our, our website um, is 82i.com. It's 80 spelled out. So E I G H T Y, the number two, the letter I.com. And yep. my email is jason at 82i.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, um, Jason Shapiro, S H A P I R O. 
and uh, check us out on, on LinkedIn. We do something called the Students of Entrepreneurship Post of the Day, and we take a quote where uh, a famous founder like Steve Jobs or Bezos or even people you may not have heard of gives some insightful commentary on entrepreneurship. We talk about it and we try to have a discussion. We'd love to see anyone on there or, or meet meet anyone as well. So I appreciate that, Kevin. Well, we will make sure that that, that uh, those are in the show notes. And uh, Jason, once again, it's just great to connect with you. It's been a real pleasure to to hear your story and, and your insights and really just hear the heart behind what you're building there in your flat structure. But it also is the ethos, like I said, of this podcast, just doing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Jason, have a great evening. Thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful. I hope you heard some great takeaways from our guests today. Make sure you reach out to them and thank you again for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.